0: Welcome to the Eclectic Readers Book Club on Sunrise Robot, where even we get tricked by catchy taglines, again. (laughs) I'm Susan.
1: I'm Jeanette. I'm Tara. So how are you guys? (laughs) Doing pretty good. I'm getting ready to start work and class back, which means less fun reading time and more, you know, reading for class. So, I'm Ew. prepping. Yeah, I know. So, Never I'm prepping fun. by indulging in all my like guilty pleasure reading. I'm trying to knock out like a couple of last like fantasy books and mystery books cuz I'm starting to get concerned that my 100 books for the year goal is going to be completely unrealistic as of next
2: week. Well, that's understandable. <laughs> <laughs> you you did it to yourself. That's really all I have to say.
1: <laughs> I know, but the Cushield series took so long. I thought I was going to have over 70 books done by now, and I don't. Those are some thick
2: books, Aww. though. <laughs> They're so thick. They're so long. Did you Did you finish Cushield's Chosen yet? Uh, no, not
1: yet. I'm about 500 pages into it. I, it just took me a long, part, a long time to get past the middle part. Right. I I end up having to like skim and skip pages through it, which I know is kind of cheating, but I would never have gotten through it otherwise.
0: Sometimes it needs to
1: be
2: done. Yeah. Wait, no, you're on Kushiel's Avatar, aren't you? Not Kushiel's Chosen. Right, Kushiel's Avatar. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's the last one, isn't it?
2: Yes. Almost done. Almost done. (laughs) Yeah. You can do it. I believe. (laughs) So good. Thank you. You'll be happy you finished it. Uh, Um, My parents are visiting, which has been super fun, let me tell you. Uh, They saw my house for the first time, so, you know, that's one of those big moments when your parents see the house you have purchased for the first time and approve of you and all those bullshitty things, but they did, so I'm happy. Um, Also, though, Hannibal's ending which makes me sad. The last episode w- aired last night, and I still haven't watched it, and that's a big problem, but I'm really sad. That's the last much
0: episode much. ever, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. serious finale, because no one else picked it up, Aww. because people are dumb <laughs> and don't understand good shit when they have it. Um, but yeah. If you haven't seen it, though, you should, because if you like the Hannibal books at all, or even like Silence of the Lambs at all, it's the origin story, and they stick somewhat true to the books anyway. It's so good. <laughs> well, Susan, what about you? How you doing? I am good. I'm busy,
0: busy, busy. But um, as you all know, I have a toddler. As some of our listeners Woo! don't know, I am pregnant again. Um,
2: Congratulations. Thank you. Um,
0: but I bring that up because I Can we
2: say- huh? Can we say what the sex is going
0: to be? Oh, it's a girl. Or is that
2: going to be a reveal?
0: No, it's Yay! a girl. <laughs> we found out last week. So, um, but I bring that up because uh, I actually discovered a really good website for anybody with you know who has kids or want to have kids or siblings or anything, uh, multiple children. It's called littleparachutes.com. And it's a website that deals specifically with children's books and has it categorized by everything. (laughs) Like, there's a category for milestones, there's a category for, you know, a new baby. So like, it just breaks it down to specific types of concerns you might have. And then you can just pick the book from there. And I used it for, for Emily, and I you know, got a couple books from it and it's really good. So it's a good, good reference for everybody.
1: Now I was looking at it, Susan, mm-hmm. and I love it because there's like so many like little social stories mm-hmm. and stuff. I used to work at a, um, some listeners might not know this, but I used to work at a preschool and there's such great, like little social stories. If you have preschool age kids mm-hmm. and I'm actually going to send this link to probably like my old coworkers and stuff. Cause I bet they'd find it fascinating. Yeah. But I was wondering a little bit more how the site actually works. Like, are the books free, or do you have to pay for
2: them? Or no, it just what?
0: tells you what the books are in a little summary, and then it tells you to go to, I think Amazon, to buy the books.
2: So it's the, it's the Goodreads. So children's books. Mm-hmm. Ah, cool. that's so yep. cool. Yeah. So
0: I mean, the books that I bought were like less than ten bucks each. You know. So. Yeah um but the fact that it's all in one website and i don't have to like search everywhere um is pretty fantastic cuz you know it deals with big issues especially for little kids and it's like a new way that they can understand so that's that is, really mm-hmm.
1: cool so that's so cool and so
0: useful yeah it's like i have to share this with everybody cuz it's amazing
2: <laughs> yeah isn't that don't you love those ideas it's one of those ideas you're like ah, why didn't i think of that mm-hmm. you know i i I could have. I could be the, the co-founder of little per- No, but that's really cool that someone actually had the gumption and did mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it's really great. That is
1: such a great idea.
2: It really is.
1: Good so, find, Susan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Our friend found it, but I was just like, I need to share this with everybody. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so.
1: That is so awesome. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're reading a lot of. Um, books about being a big sister, but what else are you guys reading right now?
2: I'm not reading a lot of books about being a big sister. That's my life. Same. <laughs> well, I meant Susan
1: was reading them to her little girl. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: well, whatever.
0: It's okay. I am also a big sister. I think we're all big sisters, though.
2: So. We know we're. Yeah, that's oh, true. We are. are we all first children? Yes. That is
1: funny. I didn't notice that before, but Ah. yes, we are.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So we know exactly where Emily's coming from.
1: (laughs) We can sympathize.
0: Um, But, anyways, (laughs) aside from little uh, baby books, I'm reading A Hundred Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, I just started, and funnily, the library only had the audiobook available. Oh, me too. Oh, that's so weird.
2: so i'm doing the exact same thing i am also reading 100 years of solitude which is our next book club book Mm -hmm. but like um i also only have the audiobook available to me so that is what i'm doing Mm -hmm. that's weird yeah because i just
0: i can't read a paper book right now i just i don't have the time so i was like you know ebooks are usually better for me but they didn't have any i was like that's unusual especially isn't this an older book
2: Yes, it is. Yeah. It's been around a long time. So
0: I don't know why there wouldn't be an ebook for this. So
1: yeah, well, the book was first published in the '60s, mm-hmm. and so usually books like that, they either have a, many copies by now, mm-hmm. or they wouldn't have them all checked out. Right. So that's I mean, the, interesting.
2: Yeah. To the audiobook, it's pretty good. I like the narrator voice. Mm-hmm. It's he's pretty just cool. it's gonna take a year and a day to <laughs> to, to, to do. So that's why you started early. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Like you, my yep. friend. Great minds, great minds. <laughs> what
1: about you, Jeanette? What are you reading? I am reading Five Billion Things at Once, which I recently said I was not going to do anymore because I don't get through them. But I think I went into an end of vacation panic, so I'm reading
2: Kushiel's Avatar. Only you would have an end of vacation panic around. I didn't read enough books this That's vacation. Crazy. You read, well, I read enough books. <laughs> <laughs> Jeanette, you read so many you books. Did. You read all the books, literally I, all.
1: I know, but I still, I, I have more books. Like you said, I did this to myself. I really <laughs> did. Um, so I'm reading Shields Avatar. Like I said, um, getting closer to the end of that. I'm very excited about that. And I am reading In the Company of Sherlock Holmes, which is not a Sherlock Holmes book, but it's a collection of sh- stories sort of based on Sherlock Holmes or inspired by Sherlock Holmes stories by a bunch of contemporary authors so like Michael Connelly's in there and
2: uh okay (laughs) so it's a short story yeah yeah, that's cool
1: yeah and it's really neat because some of them are like stories that we already know from like different perspectives like um there's the Sherlock Holmes story about the racehorse that went missing and it's from the perspective of the horse Oh uh, sweet, yeah, which is kind of fun. Um, there's another one that's kind of like a Facebook retelling of the Hound of ba- Hound of Baskerville. So stuff like that. It's really really interesting. It's fun. I'm doing it because I'm one way I'm getting through my hundred books is doing the Book Riot, riot Read Harder Challenge, okay. and this book was actually published by an indie press. So. Sweet. It qualifies in that category. But yeah, it's a really interesting book if you like Sherlock Holmes stories or if you like fun takes on
2: mystery stories. So, yeah. I think next time I want to have an entire segment about my feelings about Book Riot. Oh yeah. Just to say like like <laughs> I have a lot of feels strangely enough about Book Riot. Um but we can we can do that next time. Yeah. But but I love them, and I saw that challenge and thought, oh man, if only I had time. Mm-hmm. You crazy crazy person. <laughs> that,
1: that's all. It was just an easier way to get my books organized for the second half of the year. So I, I like how like, you plan right.
0: your year for your books.
1: <laughs> I do, and then I don't stick to them because then I find like other things. Sure. Like I I read um I also read the Hemlock series this summer which is a book about – it's basically Veronica Mars with werewolves, uh, if you like the Veronica Mars television show. Is
0: that a TV show, The Hem- Hemlock?
1: Yeah. Um, no, no, that's
2: Hemlock Grove, and oh, that's on
1: okay. Netflix. Yeah. sounds terrible. Oh, is it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> I've never seen it. <laughs> so bad. Do not waste your time.
1: Although, um, interestingly, it's also about werewolves, to my understanding, and the books came out the same year, the Hemlock Grove book and the Hemlock book. So that was very confusing. Um, but, Yeah. <laughs> it's not a TV show, but it is Veronica Mars with werewolves, so that was a real
2: guilty pleasure. That was fun. So, if you like Veronica Mars but want some supernatural, you should also be reading and or watching iZombie, which is Veronica Mars. Yes. With zombies. That's what I hear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is probably when exactly When did Veronica right? Mars get popular again? <laughs> a movie when they That's did a- the Kickstarter mm-hmm. yeah the Kickstarter
1: um, but what's kind of interesting this is kind of maybe a good segue if I twist it right so <laughs> iZombie <laughs> iZombie is you know basically Veronica Mars with werewolves so it's like a twist on the mystery solving um, what do you call it procedural genre mm-hmm. and um, so it makes me say kind of a cross genre book And we've been having a lot of cross-genre books tricking us with their, you know, promotional taglines lately. Like, first we had the girl on the train that was the next Gone Girl, which it really wasn't, but we got into that last time. And now we have The Magicians, which was labeled as Harry Potter for adults. And a lot of people at our real-life meeting had a problem with the magicians because it didn't meet their expectations because it's a cross-genre
2: story those tricksty publishers they need to stop yes. it <laughs> us with their fracking taglines yeah, they, they need to
0: stop it they just need to give us a good stop. summary yeah. of what what the book's about and then let us make our own decision about that <laughs>
1: you know, do you think that since this book was a cross-genre book if you had had a different summary of the book would it have changed your enjoyment of it
2: I I read the book before that tagline existed for that book. So I'm not a good person. <laughs> That's the question for.
0: Um I maybe um going in I don't think I would have felt as quite jarred, you know? Um, like this is nothing like what I expected. So then, you know, as the beginning of the story is going and I have to kind of switch my brain a little bit, you know? So that kind of takes you out until right. you get yourself adjusted again.
2: Right. Well, you told us um, you told us before this podcast started that you know, because I believe Jeanette and I warned you last podcast that this was not Harry Potter for adults that this was in fact more Narnia yes. in some ways. Yes. Um, so, And you said that you thought you were less disappointed than some of our other real-life book
0: people. I think so, because um, one of them like really didn't like it. He's like, this is nothing like what I thought. And I was like, well, I kind of knew better what I was getting myself into. Um,
2: it's nice having Jeanette <laughs> and I as an early morning system. <laughs> <Yeah>. We're like... <laughs> No, Will Robinson, turn around, uh, right, right. danger, danger. And, I mean, that
0: really helped because I was like, OK, I got to remember they said it's not really like Harry Potter. I have to like think about it this way. It's more like Narnia. But then like that didn't really come into play really until later on. So I'm like, I can kind of see it, I, you know, but you don't really see that part until, you know, the second half of the book.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I mean it's hinted at very heavily, and you basically know almost from the beginning that it's gonna figure in because he talks about it so early. Mm -hmm. But yeah,
2: it definitely is something. The physical book, the physical book itself has a map of fillery in it. It's like (laughs) you know what I mean. Like the physical book itself has a map of fillery. Like. That's part of the. You expect to go there earlier because you're like, oh, mm, mm-hmm. well, that's where that. Uh, from me, having read it when it first first was published, um, that was what I thought. I grabbed and I was like, oh, cool, we're going to a magical universe, sweet. And then it it feels like it never happens, right? <laughs> you're yeah. Like, oh. Or not? Yeah. So <laughs> we'll get there. It's, I guess it's a long way. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: yeah, and I think. Um, you know, we're going to touch on this even more later when we actually get to our main read discussion, but um we had talked about how maybe this is less of a fantasy book in that sense, because you don't go on the big magical adventure until later in the book, and it's really more of a coming-of-age story.
2: Yeah, whoa, 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 spoilers for my discussion, Jeanette. <laughs> I'm so whoa, sorry. Whoa, whoa,
1: whoa,
2: whoa. <laughs> Spoiler <laughs> alert. <laughs> It's all right, we'll, we'll beat that part out. But there's a ton out. of other examples, too. <laughs> but there are a ton of other examples of this.
1: Right, and there are. And so I was coming up with some of them. And it's interesting because some of the ones I came up with are more genre than they are coming-of-age. Like, Harry Potter is a good coming-of-age... Well, first, let's define coming-of-age. A classic coming-of-age story, or um, a Bildungsroman, is another thing that they call it, is basically... You're watching a character um, basically grow. So they're growing in education, in psychological formation, some kind of um, growing up experience. So you've got The Catcher in the Rye, The Outsiders, the Anne of Green Gables series as a whole. Um,
2: So those are kind of the classic coming-of-age stories. But if you're ever confused, though, like a good way to tell the difference is that in a story that is mostly a coming-of-age story, it's more about the person's inner dialogue than it is about the person's actions. So right, the story mm-hmm. has more to do about what the person's thinking than what the person's doing, it's probably a coming-of-age story. Right, so I think that's- exactly. And so there are
1: obviously coming-of-age books in other genres, like Harry Potter or Ender's Game or Candide, but a lot of them are more genre than they are coming-of-age stories. Like Harry Potter, mm-hmm. you would not typically go, oh, it's a coming-of-age story about a little boy who grew from 11 to 17. Well,
2: because that's, like, its third purpose. <laughs> it, you know, but, you know, its first purpose is this is an epic fantasy. Right. You know? Yep. We are in an epic. Classic the hero epic art. Yes. Line. <laughs> a classic hero story. The mentor dies. He goes to the underworld. He gets the key piece of knowledge. He kills the bad guy. It's the classic, classic epic Storyline. Then it's a magical fantasy romp adventure story. That's its second purpose. And then its third purpose is as a coming of age story. This kid grew up, by the way. Yeah. By the way, this kid goes from 11 to 18 in these books. Enjoy.
0: (laughs) Well, I feel like in that time period, too, it's just automatically a coming of age story, you know? Like that's part of what that book is.
2: Very true. You can't really avoid it. No given the timeline associated. But that's why it's not a purposefully a coming-of-age... Well, it is purposefully a coming-of-age story, but it's not. that's not the point. The point isn't to be like, wow, Harry Potter grew so much in this series. Didn't he just grow so much? <laughs> you know, the point is to be like, yeah, he defeated the bad guy. <laughs> uh, ended the war, broke the wand. That guy's sweet. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's the point.
1: Exactly. And I think, and you guys tell me what you think, but... I think it would have been a much different book had we focused on Harry Potter is going to a boarding school and growing up, oh, by the way, he's got magic.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And people are trying to kill him, but that's all right. The book would have been way more like the fifth book. All the books would have been yes. way more like the fifth mm-hmm. book. And PS.com, the fifth book, is the worst. So <laughs> don't, don't want that to be the case. It improves upon rereads. Yes, it does. Oh, my God. But I hated it at the time. <laughs> I did, Wanted too. Wanted to murder it with the last being of my soul. So, I mean, <laughs> it's not so improving bad. upon rereads, fine, great. But, like, the first time around, I was so miserable. I'm in New York reading it going, this is just terrible. <laughs> no offense jk i love it now but like at the time <laughs> harry was just the worst yeah
1: he
2: uh he was just so sad anyway <laughs> let's talk about yeah. candide as a good example though i love candide i loved coming up with this i love that it was in the list i just love it so much
1: well that was one of those books that it's so much it's genre I that know. i really blinked when i saw it on the list i was like wait a minute candide i
2: well yeah i guess it is coming of age candide yeah. kind of grows um, <laughs> i mean he goes from a naive young boy to like a married farmer in the dirt who's unhappy i mean but i mean it's so much Voltaire's parody and i love candide so still
1: much. in the best of all possible worlds oh lo- look at that <laughs> i love candide it's it's hilarious holding. um great book yeah, but it's very much I mean, it's not a coming of age story as you typically think of it. Like what would you call it, Tara? Uh
2: primarily, I mean, it's a couple of things. Um the word isn't actually parody. The word is actually satire? Me. Yes, thank you. Sorry. Yes, satire. I mean, it's it's a satire. I mean, it's a political satire piece. That's what it, the point of that story is. Oh, and yeah. it's brilliant as a political satire piece. Brilliant. Absolutely amazing. Um, but that's what it is.
1: Yeah, I guess that's the best way. I mean, it's got a couple of different elements. I just had no idea what to classify it even.
2: So I mean, I think, I think the other thing you have to do when you're talking about genre is, and this isn't true for every piece of a novel you do, because um, novels are art, and art is subjective, and you are allowed to deal with it you know and and take it in as your own but i think you really have to look at author intent when it comes to genre like what was the intent of this story from the author's perspective and i think that really helps you know define its primary objective because i mean they're the ones who wrote it so
1: right um. i agree with that i think You need to be aware of the intent in a way, maybe not the full intent, obviously, because there's a lot of spoilers and intent sometimes, but I think (laughs) it changes your expectations of the books. Right. And that leads to book clubs being tricked and being confused. And we wouldn't want that, would we? (laughs)
2: No, so publishers, <laughs> if you're listening to this, I urge you to stop trying to yeah. ride the coattails of other authors and other books and just let a book be a book. Yes, that would let be nice. Let a book nice. be that book and that best version of that book it can be. Stop trying to convince me it's something else and telling me that I should love it because I love this other thing. That's not, that's not true. And it's not good. It's just not good business. And it's not good for your book. It's setting <laughs> us up to expect something. Then it obviously isn't. Mm-hmm. And it might sound good, it might sell a couple more copies, but in the end, word of mouth is your most powerful thing. And you want the book to survive on its own laurels. Well,
0: or at least be more so, accurate, you know? Like if they said it was, you know, just like going to the land of Narnia, I'd be like, oh, okay, this is what I'm is going to Is that true, expect. though? Like, but I feel is like that that's true? more because accurate you don't go than it is.
2: For two thirds of the book, though. Right, but I feel like
0: that's still more accurate than Harry Potter.
2: I think an accurate I think an accurate tagline for The Magicians and then I'm actually going to talk to you guys about The Magicians <laughs> is more like um so The Magicians, a coming of age story where magic is real and no one is happy.
0: No, that's fine, <laughs> but if they wanted to add a popular book series that people already know, To compare the book with, I would say you should have used Narnia more than Harry Potter. Like, I I would just say, don't use it at all. But if you want to, you should have gone with this other thing. So a book where
1: no one is happy and they maybe go to Narnia. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and spoiler
2: alert, they go to Narnia. I mean, Fillory. I mean, it's Narnia. So, what is The Magicians by Lev Grossman? <laughs> yeah. The Magicians by Lev Grossman is a book about a character named Quentin Clearwater, who is an above average person in the 12th grade when we meet him um starting to do his interviews for school he's really really smart he's going to go to an ivy league he pretty much knows what he's going to do but he's pretty unhappy with life um he's got two friends and he's been longing over his female friend julia for a long time um he's going to one of his interviews when he goes there and realizes his interview er e er is dead um and a pretty paramedic who's completely out of place gives him a folder and that folder leads him magically to the world of break bills and break bills as he discovers is a magical college uh for magicians uh he takes a pretty hard exam gets into a class of 20 um and spends a majority of the book there learning magic um as he's doing so, he learns what magic is, uh, makes a bunch of new friends, and gets a girlfriend named Alice. Uh, they eventually move out of Break bills and into the real world, where they are all dissatisfied and unhappy individuals, who then go to the magical land of Fillory. Fillory is essentially Narnia in these books. Um, and there they have their magical adventure, but all things are topsy-turvy and all things are wrong. So, guys, what did you think of this book?
1: Okay, so this is my second time reading it, mm-hmm. Um, as I've said before. And I have to be honest, I didn't enjoy it this much, this time, as much as I did the first time I read it. The first time, it was a lot of fun, it was kind of interesting to kind of see magic use in a real world setting. Because as much as I love Harry Potter or Narnia or um, Tolkien or anything like that, it's not real world. It's a very fictional world and things can be idealized or, you know, changed or twerked for... uh, Tweaked, that is. Not twerked. That's a totally different thing.
2: (laughs) Tweaked for... (laughs) Miley Cyrus, is that you? (laughs) Um,
1: Tweaked. Um, to work into the story um, better. And I thought it was really interesting the first time. The second time, and this could be because I listened to it on audiobook and I didn't enjoy the narrator's voice, no offense, narrator, Um, but I didn't enjoy it and I was much more aware of the sense of unhappiness and darkness. And that's what stood out to me this time around was how dark it was. Um, what yeah. do you think, uh,
0: Susan? Susan? Um, I have to agree. It was really dark. Um, I would say interesting. Um, it was a different, I don't want to say different take, but a different feel of what magic can be, especially in the real world. Um, there were a lot of frustrating things while reading this book, or I listened to the audio book, but there were a lot of frustrating things about um the story and the characters and things. Um, But overall it was interesting. Like it was interesting to read.
2: So let's bounce this right off our last discussion. Is this book a coming of age story with magic or alternatively, is it a magical epic fantasy novel that doubles as a coming of age story?
0: I put neither. (laughs) Um, Only because just because he got, an education in magic. Um, Everything else in his life, he has not grown, I don't think. Um,
2: You don't think he's grown at all by the end of the novel?
0: (laughs) No. I don't. Um, He realizes and comes to a realization of certain things later in the book, um, especially with Alice, but I really don't think that that's enough. He's just too much of a douche. I don't know. Wow, I actually,
2: I actually disagree. I actually disagree pretty heavily. Um, I don't think he's grown as much as he grows by the end of all three books. Mm-hmm. I will not spoil anything from those other two books. Um, but I think asking Penny, asking for Penny's hand to be returned to him, even though he hated Penny throughout the entire book, is um was a huge. That was his very first wish. I think that's a huge. Growth. I, I think it was actually one of those do don't tell things that the author did pretty well. Yeah, because um, <laughs> that's a huge that's a huge thing. Like, I don't. I would never in a thousand years have bet that would have happened. No,
0: but also to me, like one good thing in in that time of life we're following is doesn't equate to much yet. Like I needed to see more after that, but there wasn't. Like you don't just because he did that one. There was that one point where he did something good, and it looked like he was going to grow. You don't see that later in the book, so it's like, well, this could have just been a one thing, one time incident. I Jeanette, can what do see that.
1: Think? I mean, i I do see where you know that could have been a fluke. I think since we are in Quentin's head and we see what he does after that, you can see that he does. Um, he is affected by the events in Fillory, and he does grow a little bit. I do think it's a coming-of-age story um, with magical elements, of course, but I think it's a slow coming-of-age story because there is the point at the very, very end of the book where, you know, he's gone through all of this. He's so unhappy. It's changed his life. And everybody shows up at his job one day and they're like, hey, so let's do it all again. And he's like, yeah, okay. And I'm like, this has been literally driving you crazy for months now, and this is your reaction? Mm -hmm. Like, I felt like that sort of reaction doesn't show a whole lot of growth on his part, but then there's two more books.
2: There are two more books. Right. Um,
0: But I haven't read those yet.
2: (laughs) Right. But also, if you read what Lev Grossman is writing about magic. I mean, he makes it very clear. It's very tough. Once you are in the magical world to not be a part of it anymore. I mean, they classically say there's only one person to ever do it. You know, he meets her, but there's only one person to ever completely give up magic that they know of in modern history. I mean, it's just something that once you know about it, I mean, and the character Julia is a great example of this. Once you know about it, it doesn't really let you go. So I never thought at the end when Quentin does give up magic that that was something that was going to stick. I never thought that was going to stick.
1: I don't, you know? I don't think I'm trying to say that I thought it was going to stick. I'm trying to say that I think a different Quentin would have thought more. Or at least, mm. you know, expressed a concern, even if it's only in his own head. Like, oh man, that was bad. And he doesn't.
0: He's
1: just yeah. like yeah. Well,
0: all right. That's also well, another thing like he doesn't really go back and be like, "Oh, I totally regret this thing." Yeah. There's no reflection. I mean,
2: that's part that's part of magic. Magic is pretty uh, not seductive. That's not a right word. Yeah. Obsessive in this book people who know about it are obsessive and a lot of things are said about magic, you know, con- sometimes completely contradictory. They say it's hard work and you see that like you need to take in like like 24 or so factors whenever you cast any spells. Some say it's completely innate. Um, It can be easily perverted or twisted. They warn about using magic to hurt one another. And famously, one professor hypothesizes, and I really do want to stress the word hypothesizes for that, um, that in order to be a magician, you must be unhappy, and that magicians are people who never really grow up. What Do you think that means for magic in this world? Do you think magic in this world is a curse or is it a gift or does it, would it depend on the person?
1: I think with like with any gift or talent, it's a little bit of both. And the magic is typically a little bit of both um, when it shows up in a book. I mean, it's a curse. It takes a lot out of them when they're doing the magic. They have to study so hard. They work so hard. They have to practice until, like, their fingers hurt and their fingers grow muscles, which actually was a weird image, and I'd love to see that.
2: Um, yeah, I love how they can tell who's a magician by looking at their mm, hands. Yeah, I would
1: love to see if they can make some way make that work in some way when they do this as a TV series. But um, it doesn't ever actually bring... Quentin or any of the other magicians happiness Um, like they believe oh we've got magic now we don't need money, we don't need this we don't need that but it doesn't actually bring happiness but there's a sense of satisfaction there they take pleasure when their magic is successful, when it's well done and there's a point when Quentin is either first starting at break bills or maybe it's later when he's skipped to his second year but he's working so hard and he even seems to imply that he's much happier when he's working hard on his magic
2: but is that about magic or is that about the fact that he's a type a i was just thinking that i think personality it's- <laughs> who enjoyed projects and working hard regardless of the topic.
0: Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I was thinking it's he felt like he had a purpose. So he was feeling fulfilled at that time.
1: Well, yeah. later he grows kind of sick of like all the work and things like that. So I kind of got the impression that it was because you know, it was magic. It was the joy of starting to use magic. And I think the hard work kind of started to take its toll in Quentin being, you know, his self kind of was like, well, well, that's not funny anymore. Bored now.
2: And I but. think the only time magic really, really made him happy was when he got through and did his first marble spell, like when it floated in the very beginning. And he was just, or like it moves a little bit and he's like, I am a magician. It can start now. And that was always some problem with with Quentin, is that he was always waiting for its you know, that, that that moment that his life will start. But I think that moment when he made his marble move just a little bit, he thought, this is it. My life is beginning. And that is the, really, I think the only time I can think of magic making him joyously happy the entire time.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't think he's joyously happy, but there's definitely a sense of, satisfaction at some point and i wish i could remember exactly when but there's definitely satisfaction i mean the others experience it too like josh when he learns to start starts to learn to control his magic he seems to be more happy i don't want to keep using the word satisfying but he he does like get a sense of relief that oh i can control this now i can do this And this is a good feeling because he expresses there's a feeling that you have that you can control it and you know where to reach for your magic. And he doesn't know how to do that. And when it happens, he's so happy. So there is a sense of happiness in the magic, but I think it's that sense of happiness in I had to work really, really hard to make this work.
2: Right. And I'd argue that's an independent of magic Thing, if you had to work really really hard to make anything work, you'd be so unbelievably happy if it succeeds. Yep. <laughs> you know, um, I don't think that has to do specifically with magic. Susan, what are any other thoughts?
0: Um, no, basically, I agree with what you guys said. Um, they have that, and uh, like you said, Tara, it's it's not only just magic having that feeling of satisfaction when you accomplish something. Um, but I feel like with magic, especially cause all these students are, you know, very smart, um, and very intelligent. They have that, they feel like they're accomplishing even more because they're in this special group of people. Like it's only just them that can ha- that has this talent and then they can also master it. Right. You know, um. So but then that can also be a curse because then you put a lot of pressure on yourself and you can get burnout and, you know, like then you don't get satisfied with the result. You just want to go, go, go and you don't enjoy yeah. like what you have produced. So,
2: I mean, I think people feel very strongly or some people feel pretty strongly about how magic is depicted in this book. Uh, one of our real-life people were like, he, he purposely took all the fun out of magic. I mean, he was so angry at this book. But he, did, he said, like, you know, it feels like Grossman specifically took all the fun out of magic and just made it hard work. But I don't know if I absolutely agree with that. I think there were fun, magical moments. Like, I love when they turn into geese. Ooh, I think that was that's my favorite maybe part. the strongest <laughs> chapter. Yeah. I think that's the strongest chapter. It really I mean, is. Antarctica is so really cool, but the geese specifically, how they feel, how they get, get into the V mm-hmm. formation, how he describes, I think actually, I'll get into this a little bit later, but how he's able to have a more, a clear clarity due to the animal brain he's in that really helps the narrative along I think it's really a great, great chapter, and it's one of my favorite parts of the magic. What, um, Jeanette, did you have a favorite magic bit?
1: Quentin's card tricks, of course.
2: <laughs> oh, well, of course. Just kidding. <laughs> uh,
1: no, actually, the geese is probably my favorite part of magic in terms of seeing it in the book. Um, if there were, like, a spell that I wish I could do, I'd probably want to do one of those spells, like hey let's make me stronger make me able to like run for long periods of time things like that where oh you could, from the
2: antarctica race yeah yes things
1: like um you know making yourself like invulnerable to like the cold things like that i think would be so useful just in day-to-day life like hey i can yeah. do a double workout today because <laughs> i just magic my legs and they're not getting tired
2: so yeah that would be awesome yeah I feel a little bit, like, cheating because I'm not saying I would want one of the D&D spells that they (laughs) they create later. That, like, Magic Missile and Fireball isn't on my list, but, I mean, sorry, Dungeons and Dragons. Good in fantasy worlds, bad in real life. Uh, Susan, what about you?
0: that, That won't quite work out well. In the real world, no. I'm sorry.
2: <laughs> no,
0: my, my house would go up so fast. Though <laughs> so you'd have some awesome barbecues. <laughs> Ooh. Um, but I agree with Jeanette, um, the geese, and I agree with you. But I think that the whole journey from when they become geese and fly to Antarctica, I think the whole semester that they're down there is really interesting. Um, because, like... I don't know the the way they're learning isn't as grading, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like the writing isn't as oh gosh forced or I don't know. There was just something about him Quentin learning in Breakbills and then him learning in Antarctica Ar- is just different. And I really liked it in Antarctica. And then I loved seeing magic actually being used. Like that's yeah, like that was really much more- nice to see. <laughs>
2: It's much more physical chapters. Mm-hmm. Those chapters are much more physical. Yeah. Unless less, like, books and practicing over and over again. And sure, I mean,
0: they had to do that, too. But then you see, like, when they're taking breaks or whatever, the teacher, Mur- Murkowski, he's like, oh, we're going to do this. And he does, like, some magic thing. And it's like, oh, so this is how you apply magic in the real world when you're done.
1: Right. Yeah. It's definitely the strongest part of the mm-hmm. book. Even even when I was listening
2: to it on audiobook.
1: Yeah, same. That's the strongest part on the book. Um, so if you
2: like that part of the book, it. I'm just going to say you should read all the books if you like that part of the book. Is there more of that? I read all of them. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. Really. Um, all right. In our regular discussion, um, someone mentioned that Quentin, who universally we all agreed, was annoying as <laughs> sh-. um Yep. Because <laughs> uh, he is. Uh, he's an angsty 20-something with more power than any of us have any right to have. So annoying. Uh, But one of them mentioned that um, Quentin was your typical male fantasy character, a.k.a. white, straight, gets the girl, has magic, has a lot of power. Um, Do you agree that that's true? Do you think that was the point the author was trying to make? Do you think there's something else there? What are your thoughts?
0: I don't think he's a typical male fantasy character. Um, I think Love Grossman may be making fun of the, the typical male fantasy character. Like, yes, you know, because that was also my thought. Quentin is not like, even though he does get the girl, he has magic. He, um, he's just. A complete jerk. <laughs> like, I know. He, ha- he doesn't have the personality to be the typical male fantasy character.
2: I mean, white straight gets the girl has magic that describes Harry Potter. Right, right. But Perry but has such Harry a po- good personality. <laughs> Harry yeah. Potter is a white male fantasy character. He is, but he,
1: uh, but that's because you know, along with being, you know, white male, whatever, he's. Also selfless and brave
2: and... Doesn't ever get called out on his shit. I totally agree. But yeah. Quentin does. Quentin well, gets in trouble and gets called out on it.
1: I wouldn't say that Harry never gets called out on it, but he definitely is, like... Or Quentin is definitely the obnoxious, self-centered version of Harry. Right. Harry's, like, the nice guy version. And well, I, Quentin's I mean- like... Quentin, he is. He's almost a parody of characters like Harry Potter Mm -hmm. or Aragorn or whoever you want to say. He's like, Mm -hmm. hey, here you go. Here's some magic. Here's an adventure. And Quentin's like, okay, but what's in it for me?
2: Well, Quentin is also (laughs) very much not an action-oriented character. There's only one time where something he does literally f***s the rest of the group. The rest of the time, he's just sort of there i ah. mean the thing about harry and it's why recently i don't know if you guys saw this but there was that uh youtube trailer that turned harry potter into the villain and it was so easy to do because he's a man of action sometimes stupidly so as we all know gryffindors <laughs> what what gryffindors um are typically uh can typically do um but quentin could not be turned into the villain of this book cuz he doesn't do enough.
1: Yeah.
2: He literally just sort of coasts until, you know, his girlfriend breaks his heart and then he's like, let's go to Fillory right now. Now. Let's do it now. And that's I, the only bit of action I would he disagree. really honestly takes. I mean, I think, A, you can do a lot of harm by
1: inaction. And B, you know, there's other actions that Quentin takes within the book that do cause pain that do cause trouble I mean in a sense Quentin starts some of this nonsense when he accidentally summons the beast in uh, class I mean he uh, he was trying to play a prank and his prank ended up getting another student killed and that in a way starts the whole
2: adventure Uh, the paramedic in the beginning starts the whole adventure but well, I meant the fillery part of the adventure. I also mean the fillery part of the adventure. Jane Chatwin. Well, she is yeah. well yeah. I mean,
0: she starts um, it all, but Quentin makes that decision. You know,
2: because of the beast. Um, I'd, I, it, it's never one hundred percent said that it was him. No, you know, he doesn't know. He thinks it could be him. It could have been another student. It could have been anybody. It's pretty. It's
1: pretty strongly implied that when he, when he plays the prank on the professor and the professor loses his place in the spell, the spell that the professor is casting summons the beast. So yes, it's Quentin's fault.
2: It is. It is implied that that's what happened. Very
1: strongly. (laughs) But it. (laughs) I mean, everybody. But that's also not a mistake.
2: He just lets go. Of all the things, actually, Lev Grossman's not very good at tying stuff together. Um, But he takes that with him the entire way. He always feels bad about that. Even though he can't 100% with complete certainty say it was him, you know, he takes that with him and takes that mistake with him. Even though it's, it's really, like... God, like pe they make it pretty clear that people fuck with the podiums all the time right you know that it's something like they do as a joke you know and it's it's not like he does it maliciously or he's the first one to think about it you know it just happens to be a wrong place wrong time terrible thing happens
1: right but that doesn't change you know the fact that it's you know, it's his doing. You know, if I'm teaching in a classroom and a kid leaves their backpack on the floor, they might leave that backpack there every day. But if I trip on it, I tripped on it because they left it there. It's is not it his
2: doing. It's not. Or is it Jane? Their Chatwin's fault doing? necessarily,
1: but it's their
2: doing. Uh, all right, that's a bigger question. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, the bigger question here is whose fault is this entire book? is it Quentin's, who doesn't feel like he does anything or is it janes i mean i think everything that goes wrong is obviously jane Jetwin's doing cuz it's like the 6000th time she's done it so yeah, I, I think it's both um, honestly
1: yeah
2: i mean you know
1: he's quentin's playing a part in jane's game Mm -hmm. But he's playing a part. He's making his choices. She's not controlling his choices. If his choices end up getting him killed in the end, she turns back the clock. But she doesn't change the choices he makes within that storyline.
0: But see, that that makes me think, though, that does she change the circumstances around him for him to make a certain decision to make a mistake or to make that decision? You know?
1: I don't necessarily think so. Just from the way she's talking at the end, he's like, well, go back, change this, change that. And she's like, I'm not going to do that because it changes the entire outcome. I think she deliberately just kept turning it back and letting him make different choices, like a choose your own adventure game, to see which choice ended up with the result she wanted.
2: Right, but don't you think that's... Right, but if all things being the same, you would never make a different choice choice. I think Susan's right. I think she had to at some point, put different obstacles or different things in the way. Like who knows if, for instance, Martin couldn't feel that this group of break bill students at some point is trying to get to pillory. I mean, he does. He thinks someone in there is trying to get to pillory. The answer is it's not that no one right then is thinking about Mm -hmm. that, right? The person he's feeling is really Jane's influence on Quentin, and that's the reason why Martin comes and the Beast comes to the school. So it's not, you know, given all things the same, I don't think the Beast would have come. But since Jane has had, has been influencing Quentin and has been affecting Quentin and has made Quentin go to Fillory before in previous timelines, you know, the Beast then feels Quentin. I think it's much more, I mean, I, I would definitely argue it's Jane. Jane as the Jane is the orator of this story, in a yeah, way. Yeah,
0: and she discovers that Quentin's the right candidate because he is such a jerk. <laughs> He'll make these decisions <laughs> for, for the for the things to happen the way it did. You know, yeah. um,
2: I mean, I think I think. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, that's anything. okay.
0: Go ahead. I I was just finishing up my thought.
2: Um, I think that, you know, I actually think Quentin's an interesting person here. You know, Quentin is surrounded by different types of people. And like you said earlier, it's almost a mockery of the typical white fantasy person. But would this book have been better if one of the other physical kids were the main character? If Alice, who makes the the final sacrifice, was the main character? Or, you know, was there a point for making Quentin the character that only Quentin could have given us? I don't think any
1: of the other characters would have been a good choice, honestly. Um, Especially, I love Alice, and she's by far my favorite character, but she would have been quite the, like, Mary Sue as the main character. Like, she would have been too perfect, because she's the nicest one, and she's the one who grew up in the magic family, and she's got the talent and magic, and it just would have been too much perfection with her as a narrator i don't know that any of the other characters would have made good narrators either except for maybe josh because josh is the only one who's not completely in control of his magic so in that sense i think he might have made an interesting narrator what about
0: penny
2: Not really. He's away from the other kids too much. He is, but he yeah. does like
0: all that interesting he research.
2: <laughs> yeah, but I mean, I he's think he's also a jerk.
1: Oh yes, yeah, he's also a jerk. And Penny doesn't have any friends, any other characters in his life to bounce things off of. So I think Penny would have been even more in your head, mm, probably type of story. Because he doesn't have anybody to talk to, especially after Quentin and Alice get skipped ahead and he fails. That's true. So then you're also reading a story that would be even darker because he have failed, although that would be interesting. But he would have failed and then he'd be alone until he finds Fillory. I think that would have been a very lonely and kind of uninteresting story.
2: And We would have had awkward teacher-student moments, and <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I want that book. <laughs> uh, he was no, an awkward guy. Th- that's a down book. with it. Different book. Um, what about what Alice says to Quentin? Do you think that this makes a difference as to why he's the narrator? You know, after the Beast and after everything, Alice says, to, you know, that the difference between him and everyone else is that he actually believes in magic. She says, you know, you do realize that, right? That nobody else does. You know, how does this faith that he has help him as the protagonist of the story? Um, A, it's the only way in
1: which I identify with him. Because it's like, okay, you have a belief in this magic. And I'm like, okay. You know, because clearly people who are fans of fantasy books... In their own way, they believe in magic, whether you think, oh, magic's real or not. like You believe in magic if you're a fantasy fan. And so I think that does give me, as a fantasy fan, a way to relate to this character. But I think it's also the one way that makes him a hero-type character. Because otherwise, you just spend the entire time wanting to throw drinks in his face and punch him (laughs) and kick him and... I'm not an aggressive person, but Quentin's such a jerk. Um, and I'm just, I just want to be like, do something. And his belief in what he's doing is the only thing that makes him even a touch likable. Susan? Uh, um, <laughs>
0: I, I, he has this well, um, at the beginning of the book, he even ta- he's, right, right away, he mentions Fillory, like if this was Fillory or this one book that ties into my life in this way. And it's like, well, okay. So now that he's discovered magic, he's like, okay, well, it should be like Fillory. Like, I think he tries to find the grasses greener all the time. And uh, I don't think a lot of the students do that. They're just like, we're magicians, we have to study magic, and that's it. Um, but with Quentin, he's always thinking, like, there's more to this after this. So, I mean, that's nice in a way, <laughs> you know?
2: <laughs> there's more to life. Yeah. So he's the aerial of Breakbills? Yeah. <laughs> I want adventure in the... Gr- oh, wait, that's, no, that's Belle. Belle. That's Belle. <laughs> Belle. <laughs>
1: Julia is Ariel. Julia just wants to be part of their world. Yeah,
0: oh, <laughs> <Aww, laughs> she's that so That's such a Aww. sad comparison. <laughs>
2: it's kind of true though. But yeah, he so, he so wants. to. sorry. Quentin is Belle. <laughs> Julia's Ariel. I, I have a problem with.
1: I, I have a problem identifying Quentin as Bell, <laughs> but that's because I love Belle and I don't love Quentin. Yes,
0: that's <laughs> true. But I mean, it's true. Like he is always thinking, like there's there's more to this than what I'm studying now. There's more to this than, you know, what I'm experiencing now. So that always- Bell's never
2: happy, the entire movie. It's so true. <laughs> She's yeah. never really happy. No, yeah.
1: no, he never finds something that gives him legit long-term pleasure.
2: Yeah. Oh, man. I love this comparison so much. <laughs> so much that I'm loathe to, like, move on, but I really do love it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> speaking about Belle and Ariel... Whatever. It, it works, okay. Um, let's talk about the woman in the book. Okay, it only works a little. Um, specifically, Julia, Alice, and Janet. Um... You know, each of them are sort of I mean, all the supporting characters are a little bit like this is this obvious supporting character. But Julia interestingly, um Love Grossman has said that Julia was his answer to Dudley, who he just does not understand from the Harry Potter books as not being interested in magic at all. Mm. So Julia's his answer to to Dudley as like someone who sees magic once and just becomes obsessed with the magical world. Alice, who, as you guys have all described, is sort of perfect in as much perfection as any of these characters can possibly have. Um, And then Janet, who, I mean, sort of takes on the horror role character of the slut, which is unfortunate, because I think she's got a lot more depth to her than that. Um, But she is sort of, like, pegged into that hole. How do you feel about... Let's start with Julia. How do you feel about Julia's journey from popular girl to girl in the graveyard to powerful hedge witch that you see by the end of the novel? Um, as far as Julia goes,
1: I, I s- understand what Grossman is saying about, you know, Julia being, you know, different take on Dudley. I do think he's a little harsh on Dudley. I can imagine people... Not wanting to be part of the magical world, especially if you kind of have this magical world from um, Julia's perspective that, you know, this is a dangerous world and it's hard work and all of that. Like, if you knew that, I can see you not being completely interested in it. I just. Julia's journey, I wanted to know more about it, basically, by the end of the book. I just wanted to know what she went through. I didn't think that we were given enough about her. We were just given a taste of what she, it, what is happening to her. And I wanted to know more. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: I liked the hints. I just didn't feel like there was enough of it in this book. Agreed.
2: Read book two. Okay. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> S- 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 now I need to, because
0: she, she's fascinating. Yeah.
2: Yeah, she is, um, I don't think this is a, she is one of the narrators for book two. If that makes you want to read it more. Yes. There you go. (laughs) You're like, yes, it does, in fact. (laughs) Um, What about you? What do you think, Susan? Um,
0: Yes, Julia is definitely interesting. Um, I really wish there was more of her in, in the first book. But if you want someone, you know, people to read the second book, then OK, fine. Um,
2: <laughs>
0: Alice, um, like everyone else, she is, I just absolutely loved Alice. And of course, she had to die. Um,
2: Did she, though? Or is it just another example of fridging? Fridging, by the way, for those of you who don't know, are when a female character is killed for solely the benefit of the male character, the male protagonist in the story.
1: I think she did need to jump mm-hmm. die. I agree with Susan. Yeah, she, unfortunately,
0: yeah. she did because, um, she I think was the only one who fully understood what needed to happen, than all the others, and you know oh, yeah. she wasn't gonna you know order somebody else to make that sacrifice, you know.
2: So in the first version of this book, it was Janet who dies. Right. Typical horror fan, mm-hmm. you know. Until the publisher sits him down and is like no, you can't, you can't do that.
0: (laughs) I think, I don't think people would have missed her much, just
1: saying. (laughs) I don't think, and I don't think it would have been an impact. And honestly, (laughs) for the story that they're telling, you know, Quentin's going on this journey and whatever, but also within the terms of this mini story of Fillory, they're facing the, or the overarching story, I guess, depending on which perspective you see it. But within the book, this mini Fillory adventure, they're going up against this incredibly powerful creature. Alice is the most powerful magician. The only one who even comes close to her at that point is Penny. But Penny, from a character perspective, he wouldn't have made that choice to sacrifice himself for everybody. Um, Penny doesn't see the story that way. And Alice is that kind of character. She would make that choice. And she's the most powerful by far. She's the only one who could have gone up against the Beast and
2: won. Would it have been redeeming to have had Quentin make that choice instead of Alice?
1: It would have been redeeming, but not realistic. Quentin wasn't at that place at that time. I don't think Quentin has reached that place by the end of the book. Nope.
2: So, yeah, no, you're probably right. <laughs> um, by the end of the series, yes. By the end of the book, no. Yeah,
1: and I mean, it w- basically, in terms of the story we're given, Alice or Janet really needs to die in order to make the story have any sort of impact. The on the sacrifice. No, on the reader for the sacrifice. I think it really you needs think to Janet be that would have been
2: impactful. Yes, I think Elliot would have been impactful. I think Elliot is a more lot of than people's favorite. Yeah, I like I like Jan- Janet.
1: I like Janet way more than Elliot. That's I, mean, I
2: love I, Janet, but I think most people really like Elliot. I will say this though: he's your first I, character you're introduced to in the magical world, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, but Elliot—he's the Hagrid or the Ron. I saying, I don't think he's like in that. Hagrid. <laughs> no, Sorry, right. I don't he's think the Ron.
1: he's either honestly. A cooler Ron, perhaps? No, he's Draco, is what he (gasps) is. Why don't you like Elliot? What's (laughs) wrong with you? (laughs) I didn't say I didn't like Draco.
2: Oh. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think he's
1: a nice version of Draco, basically. He's a slightly nicer version, I should say. But he he's he and Janet are kind of cut from the same cloth. They're both self-centered, they're selfish. You know, they don't see much past their immediate wants and needs. But I think this time around reading it, Janet, I recognize her as more in search of something to fill that void in her life. Whereas Elliot is kind of giving up, you know, Elliot basically decides I'm going to drink myself to death in New York because there's nothing else to life. And Janet is actively trying to find something to fill the void in her life even if it's and, making Alice miserable,
2: and what is that void in her life?
1: Well, it's the demon that she let out of her back. Um, no, <clears throat> I don't know.
2: It's, <laughs> it's that she's in love with Elliot and can never have him, but she still lives but, with him and deals with him every day. Do I mean, you he, think forces, so? he forces. I, I don't know. I mean, I think. I mean, this I, is I, all reading I, between the lines here, but I think she doesn't try to sleep with Quentin to get at Alice. Although I think that's like a great oh, side benefit. I think, benefit that's, I think it's, that,
1: that's part of it.
2: Oh, no, I think it's a great side benefit. I think she tries to get Quentin to sleep with her. Well, specifically to sleep with her and Elliot in order to get a piece of Elliot. I think, I think- it's actually super sad. That's how I always read it. I always read it like she was gifting Elliot and Quentin in some way to Elliot in order to get a piece of Elliot that she can't have, and that just getting under Alice's skin is just, and uh, under their relationship because she's so unhappy is just a side benefit.
1: I'm just not convinced that if Janet had Elliot, Janet would be happy.
2: Yeah. I, well, no, because she's a magician because, of being happy. Well, is she'd still impossible. be a bad person well, regardless. We don't know that. <laughs> Well, she's not a bad person, she's guys. A bad person. I
1: don't, I don't think she's a bad person. She's not. I just think she. I, I mean, I would agree. She's a sad person in that yeah. way. She's desperately trying to make herself happy, and she's doing it at the expense of everybody around her. And I do think there's a sadness in that. It's not likable, but it's more likable this time than the first time I read it.
0: Yeah, it could be sad um, and still be bad, though. Like her choices aren't I, good.
1: Right, which is one of the reasons why I thought, you know, the story would really work better if she had been the one who chose to sacrifice herself. Mm. Because that does show growth on her part. It shows, like, she has, you know, found a way to, you know, fill that void or grow despite the unhappiness Mm -hmm. and despite never getting the things that she wants. And I think in that sense, that's why Janet would have been a great character to sacrifice herself, because that's not who she is. But it's not a choice that I'm convinced she would have made by that point in the book either. Because right. she definitely shows no remorse at making anybody around her unhappy.
2: So, last question. And then, and then I'm sorry guys, this is over. Um, the author completely and utterly... Um, sort of identifies with Quentin definitely in some ways, you know, um, feels that Quentin is him or writes from Quentin's perspective. Lev Grossman is a Gen Xer classically known to be a little bit disillusioned with the world. You know, in some ways, Quentin also doesn't read as a millennial. Um, He has said in various interviews that he was dealing with depression at the time uh, that he is, always has always had a struggle with depression, that he's somewhat separated from his parents. Um, knowing that Quentin is sort of a stand in for Lev, does that change your thought about the character or your thought about the books in any way?
1: It makes me dislike the author more. i, just oh, I was just thinking that. I was just thinking that. Honestly, no, honestly, it does because it, you know, I don't have a problem with dark books or pessimistic worldviews or anything like that but if this is the way that somebody deals with their depression in that sense I like it frustrates me as a reader like I don't know to believe that the world around them should be happy or unhappy because they're unhappy like I don't You know,
2: I just, I think that's kind of a selfish view of your depression. I don't know. Wait, do you think that's what he's trying to say? That he thinks the world around him should be unhappy? Or or, or are you just trying to, I think he's trying to just say that Quentin feels the world around him can be occasionally unhappy.
1: I mean, I feel that Quentin views the world around him as an unhappy, miserable place and the people around him as unhappy, miserable people. And the fact is, like, the world, you know, hopefully is not filled with unhappy, miserable people. So if you're, um, if this is the way you're deciding the your world should be, because, you know, the author is creating this world, you're not taking that necessarily from your reality. You're creating it. And I just don't know that that's, um, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's, I don't know that that's, the best
2: outlook to create about
1: depression mm-hmm. you see what I'm saying
2: no I I get it but you have to have both sides of the coin in novels like you can't just have you know what I mean like it, there's not always a PC way I think to handle every, to handle not PC that's the wrong way to say it um but yeah Susan what do you think
0: um well yeah I kind of Definitely don't like the author much anymore. <laughs> um, but I I understand how people put their ideas and their emotions into something that they're creating. Um, but I feel like he put too much of it, of what he was feeling at that time, into this book because it really reflects what he was going through, I feel. Um, so, I don't know, it's just... I feel like it made a huge impact and maybe that affected, you know, how I enjoyed this book. You know?
2: All right. So, well, you guys gonna finish the series? I know neither of you have, so yes, no?
0: I probably will in the near future. (laughs) Because it (laughs) is interesting. I kind of want to see how it, you know, ends in Fillery, and I really want to know what happens to Julia, so.
1: Yeah, the second book, um, I will say this much about it. I didn't like it as much as the first book when I read it. Um, and there's a couple of different reasons for that, but they're all spoilers, so I'm not going to talk about them. Uh, but now, having read the first one again, like it reminds me about all the things I liked about the series, so now I kind of want to read the third one more.
2: It ends well. That's all I'm going to say. It really does. Okay. Well, that's So um, thanks, guys, for... Joining me with this discussion, um, our next book on Eclectic Readers is going to be 100 Years of Solitude by Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Um, Yeah, so join us next month. Great.
0: Um, and we had so much to talk about in this podcast and some really great references that we'll put in the show notes. And to see them, you can go to sunriserobot.net slash greasers slash seven. And we're-
1: this is our seventh episode. Hey. <laughs> yeah, lucky number seven. We're getting to ten, guys. <laughs> I know.
2: So exciting. I-,
1: I will say while you're talking about show notes, Susan, that there's an interesting uh, blog post that Tara found yes. about mm-hmm. the book that people, I think, should definitely check out if they're interested in knowing more about this book because yes. it was really fascinating. It
0: really was. I agree. Um, and where can people find you, Jeanette?
1: Uh, you can find me on Goodreads either at our group page or at slash JMT Rivera. And you can find me on Twitter at Dr. Jeanette. Uh, that's D R J E A N N E T T E. And Tara?
2: Yeah, you can find me on Goodreads at our Eclectic Readers page as well. We're very active there, so come say hi. And you can find me at Twitter at Tara Newman, T-A-R-A-N-E-W-M-A-N. Yeah. Susan, what about you?
0: Um, also on Goodreads, um, on our Eclectic Readers group page, oh. which I <laughs> love that we're so active. Um, I know.
1: It's so much fun.
0: It is. <laughs> and Come join. I, <laughs> I am uh, Sue Lyons on Goodreads. On Twitter, I'm at Rudy Kaicho, R-U-R-I underscore K-A-I-C-H-O-U, and Google Plus, Susan Lyons. Um, and if you'd like to support us, um in other ways than awesome group discussion, you can visit um, sunriserobot.net slash support and be a Patreon supporter. Special thanks to Bruce Edwards and Andreas Longa. Thank you so much. Or you guys can subscribe to your favorite podcatcher. Um, like, uh, what's the one that you use, Jeanette?
1: I use um, Podcast Addict. Okay,
0: Podcast Addict. Think. That's the one. And I know there's yeah. um, Pocket... Catcher or something like that. Oh shoot, I don't yeah. remember. <laughs> um, so you yeah. never miss an episode, and please rate and review us on iTunes. Um, that'll help more listeners and more eclectic readers uh, like us. Just you know, how, continue a huge discussion, and that'll be just wonderful.
1: Yeah. Um, and we do take your feedback into consideration, so please yes. give yes, us some. Do. Yeah, give us some notes.
0: Yes, we love it. um yes. All right, then, guys, let's shelve this until next month.
2: All right, see you then, guys. Right, bye. bye. Bye!